Um, Unless we can stand over here and do it if you'd like. Uh, let's have Dale and then let's do it. If we're going to do it, let's do it right away here. Dale? Dale? those who need them.
just my uh, my mask. But Good morning, everyone. Nice to see everybody social distancing. It's just the exception of a couple. You're all cloistered in the back. Okay. Well, we got to have a little bit of leeway, don't we? Let's go over a couple of announcements. <clears throat> I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job 19, verse 25. We've given thanks to our Pastor George for filling in uh, for Pastor this last week, and he's once again doing it this morning. And I encourage everybody to really uh, get into the, what he has to say. It's quite interesting, and hopefully it pierces the heart. Our deepest sympathy to Dr. Ed at the loss of his dear wife, Suzanne. Uh, last week she passed away. For those of you who weren't aware, uh, Tuesday at their home in Lincoln. Uh, the funeral was Thursday evening. Uh, my wife and I, along with Dale and Pam, attended and were received quite well from the, the family of, uh, of Suzanne. I had an opportunity to, to speak a little bit and was, again, received well from them, uh, very gracious towards us and uh, very welcoming to us. So you have the, you have the uh, information there if you'd like to send them a card or a letter or, or if uh, you want to contribute, uh, please see Sheila. She's going to arrange for all of that. Again, we have uh, Andrea's contact number there. Uh, the Days of Praise booklets are here, along with Acts of Facts. And I think we've got... Uh, do we have these on the, on the... Yes. Free Grace Broadcasters. Excellent periodicals. Okay, our uh, scripture for meditation to be announced. Do we have that, brother? Nothing in here. Oh. No. Guess not. Claire May was supposed to uh, have taken care of most of that. So. She's not feeling well, by the way. Claire May is not feeling well? No. Okay. Um, do you have one to recommend for a scripture reading today? 
Clara May and her efficiency has probably got rid of all the uh, the, old ones. the old ones. So, in lieu of that, I would suggest that we bow our heads for a few moments and have a prayer of meditation. Then we'll begin. As we begin our service, would you stand with us for opening prayer? Dale, may I prevail upon you to lead us in prayer?
Please remain standing for our opening hymn. Our opening hymn this morning is number 588, 588 in the brown. <clears throat> um, apologies for my voice. We traveled back from camping and uh, my air was out, so my window was open all the way home, and I'm, I'm hoarse still from shouting. Um, but 588, and thank you, Terry, for taking the... Um, prayer chain. I appreciate that a lot. We are going to be gone again this week, but I should have enough service to get texts, Lord willing. I was driving. Different car. Yeah, here. All right. All right. <clears throat> 572 in the brown. <clears throat> Our children are having a problem. Hannah.
Pearson. I didn't say that. It was a good hymn. Thank you. <clears throat> I have a scripture reading today. It's coming from Job 19, verses 21 through 29. And if you will stand as we give the reading. Job 19, verse 21 through 29. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on the scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, how will we hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves. May the Lord add his blessing to this holy and inspired word. Take your brown hymnals once again and turn to number 571, 571 in the brown. Thank you. 
last week when we spoke here at the church, we uh, dealt with the subject of the resurrection and how the resurrection was important uh, to uh, our eternal abode. We have to be resurrected. We have to have new life in Christ uh, before we can be a part of his kingdom and uh, I was thinking about the songs that we sang last week and do you think I could find the song that uh, we sang no um, it's 572 or 570 something anyhow I was looking it has a line in there that says um, that uh, God died for uh, I can't even think of how it goes now. Anyhow, um, God died to make them holy, and uh, or Christ died to make them holy, and we've died to make them free. And uh, so when you when you come across that thought again, uh, as you hear this message, I think you'll understand why I say that. So the first thing that we wanted to do today is uh, be able to introduce our second part, which is understanding the eternal soul. As we looked last week at the resurrection and how it impacts us as individuals, that uh, we need a new body. And that in the resurrection, it says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we shall be changed. But it also goes on to say that uh, when God is finished with all the nonsense of uh, this world and the sin of those who refuse to believe and, and uh, reject Christ, that they will be punished with, uh, for eternity. And that there's a point in time in which we are uh, given... Uh, new life in the fact that uh, uh, we have uh, a change in us. A change not of just our glorified body, but a change that we have a glorified soul and that that soul will then live with Christ for eternity. So as we begin this morning, let's have a word of prayer and we'll go from there. Lord, how we praise you and thank you for your exceeding graciousness and glorious love of us as your children. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us these promises in your word and that uh, we will not be complete. We will not be totally uh, able to dwell in eternity with you until you have changed not only our bodies, but you will have changed our souls so that we can be like you. We ask now that you would bless your word. Uh, Father, help us in our infirmities and allow us, Lord, to be able to speak with clarity and strength. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In contrast to this temporary earth, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ, as our eternal Savior, is the only hope in this life and the next 
for an eternal existence. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 declares, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for our salvation. Well, in the Bible, God's word teaches that we are a triune being made up of body, soul, and spirit. A body made of material from this world, the dust. And the spirit of life given to us by the breath of God himself. And uh, see Genesis uh, 2 and verse 7 for that. The need of the Savior means that our soul is the one remaining part of our original creation that must be changed. In order for us to see God. It's interesting as I got to looking through the scriptures that the soul change is always couched in the idea of seeing God. And... Uh, I find it quite fascinating that it's put in that text, or that context, I should say, uh, that we understand, uh, you know, why it's necessary. Why? Well, because in his fall, man died spiritually and needs to be reborn with a spiritual birth before he can see God. In Job 19:25 through 27, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How our heart yearns within us. The Bible teaches that we cannot get to heaven by what we do, but by the substitutionary redemptive process of what Jesus Christ has, uh, our Lord has done uh, for us on Calvary. In John 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. Uh, that idea there of becoming something, the right to become, uh, as the scripture declares, children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a wonderful passage of scripture to contemplate for we who are anticipating uh, going to heaven. Salvation of the human soul is all of God and all of grace. Paul taught that the only way to God is through the physical death or through physical death, excuse me, yet even though touched by death, 
man himself goes on to be in the eternal pro, uh, presence of God. Second Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8 says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. I think that makes perfectly good sense. As long as we're here in this body, why do we need to die? Because as long as we're here in this body, we are absent from Christ. But when this body is shed and we get a new one, uh, then we will be able to dwell with him for eternity. <clears throat> we read again, uh, following on, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, uh, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said this in another place. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. I find it just a wonderful, comforting thought that he died for us. He died for us so that we can be with him. Amen? Note that our, liter our eternal life is the present actual possession of the believer. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, has and will not be condemned, he has crossed over from death to eternal life, eternal God life, actually, is what the word means. And uh, that is uh, uh, John chapter 5 and verse 24. 1 John three fourteen, we read, We know that we have passed from death to God life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother, abides in death. We know as well that this new life, Zoe is the word in the Greek, uh, will one day extend its domain to the sphere of the body as the resurrection of Christ assures to us an eternal glorified life. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 4 declares, for while we are in this temporary dwelling, this tent, he calls it, uh, we groan, groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, uh, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So there's, there's a dwelling, there's a, uh, a clothing, I guess you could say, uh, that we're going to get when we get to glory. And it's not going to be, uh, uh, you know, camel's hair tent. And it's not going to be a plastic tent. And it's not going to be a uh, uh, canvas tent. But it's going to be the clothing that God has made for us so that we can dwell in his presence. 
2 Corinthians 5.4, But while we are in this temporary dwelling tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by God, uh, by God life. Second Timothy 1.10 says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought God life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, the reason why I'm emphasizing uh, the Greek term Zoe for God life is because I want you to understand that just because you are alive, because you exist here in this world, you are not complete as God would have you be. And in fact, the God life that we have is from God only. And he gives it to us. We can't find it on our own. We can't work for it. We can't buy it. We have to get it from Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And... Uh, he has destroyed death and has brought God life in immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God alone is declared to be immortal. Uh, that means impossible to die. If you're not immortal, you're what? Eternal. And so we need to be thinking in those terms. 1 Timothy 1.17 says... Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of those uh, different things we're going to become, but uh, we are going to become uh, some of them. And uh, God has done that again for a specific reason. If we're to dwell with God for eternity, and according to scriptures, we are, uh, we have to have immortality. We have to have uh, eternal life within. We must find the answer to the uh, uh, question of immortality in God himself. Because the truth is spiritually discerned through divine revelation or in the contents of the Bible. God has never died, yet Christ did for us. For he gave his life as our substitute and sacrifice for sin on Calvary. The scriptures hint of this eternal salvation in the fact that Jesus said clearly that his kingdom was not of this world. You think little things like that in the scriptures are just wasted time, just so much air blowing over our tongues. But in reality, when we are said to uh, not be part of this world in eternity, uh, it means that we no longer belong here. This is no longer our home. This is no longer our dwelling place. And so we have to look at the scriptures from the standpoint of what promises are made of what our dwelling 
uh, place is going to be. Now, religious faith or belief alone is not sufficient proof for hope after life. A lot of people talk about the fact that they want to be able to go to heaven. But they are not involved with the reality of what it takes for them to actually do that. And we need to consider some things here that religion in itself is not enough. The Jews of G, uh, or Gentiles that... Uh, uh, the Jew or Gentile that does not believe in the Christ of uh, the Bible does not have any hope of spending eternity in the presence of God. Christ um, and the gospel message he gave to his gathered servants as a means to evangelize the world is the only spiritual hope and message that will save the soul of man. Jesus said this about man's future. In Matthew 24, 14, we see the scriptures and they say, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's one of the places where the word all really does mean all. <laughs> but it's fascinating, isn't it? Now, beloved, there is no other message given or truth to tell than that Jesus Christ is uh, our salvation. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the spirit, spiritual birth from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This doctrine of immortality is exclusive to the Bible and to the Christian faith. The teaching of immortality comes from the Bible, and it comes to us by way of a sanctified cross, uh, of the sanctified cross work of Jesus Christ. The story of the rich young ruler deals with this particular question, and that is, uh, he said, uh, Good, uh, now beholding in Matthew uh, nineteen sixteen. Now beholding one came, the young ruler, and said to him, "Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life?" I wonder how many today of us have asked that question. What must I do to have eternal life? Again, we read this in Scripture as Christ's response to the thief on the cross. In Luke 23, 43, it says, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So there is this wonderful truth about the fact that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And it comes through Jesus Christ. It is Christ and his gospel of grace that give definition and refinement to the biblical teaching of an eternal kingdom and identifies those who would live in the presence of God for eternity as those who are new creatures in Christ Jesus. 
And again, I say to you, the reason why this is so important is because people who think that because of their religious faith that they're okay, yet they are not new creatures in Christ Jesus. They have not changed from their old ways, except that they occasionally go to church. Or maybe they give in an offering. Or maybe they will do a sacrificial work of some kind. But that is enough to, uh, isn't enough to save you. And you have to come to Christ. He's the one who says that we've been made anew. We've been born from above. And we have to understand those things are absolutely necessary. It's not a question of if. If you do this, you'll be okay. No, it's what Christ has already done for us. The Apostle Paul wrote this about the religious leaders of his day in Acts uh, 23, 8. For Sadducees, uh, what did I say? Uh, it's not Paul, it's uh, Luke, excuse me. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And we know that in reading the scriptures, you find where Christ condemned the Pharisees. He said that they are, you know, they, they walk okay, but they don't talk okay. Their walk was uh, one of rule and, and uh, reference to what they thought was the right thing for man to do. But it wasn't a righteousness that was born of God. It was one of self-righteousness. Without the teaching of the progressive revelation of the New Testament teaching of Paul and Peter and John, there would yet be great confusion among believers as to our eternal state. Paul wrote this about life after death in Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6 how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of God, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the, his promise uh, in Christ through the gospel. Second Timothy, uh, we also read this account, uh, one, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. <clears throat> But share with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now again, I'm, I'm emphasizing that, that term there. He has saved us with a holy calling. How many of you think that you're holy? How many of you think that God is doing a holy work in your life? We can see a few more hands in that, can't we? We may not be holy yet, but it won't be long before we begin to see even that change begin to work in our lives.
I keep thinking about the second coming of Christ and how that uh, it's going to profoundly change God's people. That as we begin to recognize the signs that the people of Christ are going to begin to say, uh, I better serve God with my life and not worry about these incidental things that are going to pass away and not mean anything, but merely be burned up, destroyed in the conflagration that uh, will come upon the earth. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. How by the revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Holy Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in uh, Christ through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has, sorry, now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought eternal life, or God life, Zoe, and immortality to light through the gospel. Who could understand God's saving grace or redemptive process outside the teaching of the Holy Scriptures? Which is of, of us is smart enough to see the work of God and to comprehend it, except that the Scriptures uh, declare it to us so that we can look at it over and over again until we can see it for ourselves? And only those who are given spiritual discernment can plumb the depths of divine intention into such glorious matters of God's eternal purpose for man. Hear the word of God. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The very idea of immortality for the soul of man and the existence of a heaven or hell as our final state can no longer be viewed as fanciful reasoning or uh, speculative thought, but must be addressed as God-breathed truth. The final state of the human body after death uh, we see in the scriptures how that it teaches us that there is going to be, as I said, a change for all of us in order for us to dwell with Christ for eternity. It is the body of death that Paul calls the trials and struggles 
against sin that we incur on our pilgrim journey of life. In Romans 7, 24 and 25, it says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, I can identify with this. Uh, one, because I feel like I'm dying every day, <laughs> a little more and a little more. And I think we all do. I can remember when I got my first headache and I thought, what in the world is this? <laughs> and little did I know that there was going to be a lot more of them through my life. But that's what we have to face. We have to face the fact that this body is imperfect. It cannot last eternally. And therefore, the Lord had to enter in to a means of trying to provide us with an eternal body and an eternal soul. Body of death. That's what Paul calls the trials and struggles of sin we incur in our pilgrim journey of life. In Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, he there declares, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I, serve my, I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Do you seem like there, or does it seem like there's a conflict between you and, and the sin of the world? Uh, isn't it uh, always strange how that we always want, want, want? We, we are covetous and we don't mean to be, but that's the only way that we can have a hunger and a thirst for things that really only matter here. Uh, when we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to have to worry about going to McDonald's for our dinner. Uh, we won't have to wonder about having a steak, and uh, cows will not be necessary. <laughs> Praise God. But those things are all part of our human form. And as long as we're in this body of death, we're going to want those things that are a part of this world because that's just who we are. Christ has made us different, but we're not there yet. Anybody like, is anybody here yet? Are you, are you ready for meeting God the way you are? I think that's why the scriptures declare the fact that he's going to change us. <coughs> The question of getting to heaven as a whole person, which is one that looks like we do now in the flesh, has been a burning concern and mystery for many mill millennia uh, among Christian scholars. The final condition and quality of our eternal body is still draped in the mystery of uh, death itself for most of the world but praise the Lord the true word of God and the risen Savior have given believers the hope of an eternal resurrection Jesus Christ himself is the only man that has ever come back to life 
while being in a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 21, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, in case you don't know what the first fruits are, the first fruits are the first fruits of any kind of crop or whatever, and they're usually considered to be the best, the juiciest, the sweetest, and so on and so forth. But the reality is, is that if you have to compare first fruits to those that are not first fruits, then you begin to wonder, uh, you know, what it, would it be like if I had gotten them three weeks ago instead of getting the kind of uh, tough and and uh, not so sweet corn off the husk, uh, you know, just yesterday. And yet, that's the way it is with everything. Everything in this world has a tendency to uh, run down, to get old, uh, to rot, to rust, as the scripture says. And uh, it's not as good when it's been sitting there a while as it was when it was fresh. Sheila made me a, uh, I don't know what kind of cake you call that there. A chocolate cherry cake. It's real simple. You take a can of, uh, of uh, pie filling and you dump it in this uh, mix, just any kind of mix, and you stir it up and bake it in the oven for however long, and, and you have a beautiful cake that is really ju uh, moist and juicy and, and uh, just delicious. And Sheila's run into those, and they're easy to do, and so she says, I like this. <laughs> and I said, I like it too. <laughs> so it's a lot better if you don't let it sit there for four or five days. If you can eat most of it, or put the rest in the freezer, <laughs> it's a lot better to preserve it and to then to eat it than it is to leave it out and have it uh, go bad on you. As I said, Jesus Christ himself is the only man who came back to life in a glorified state. And so when we read in the scriptures about him sitting at the table, with the other disciples and eating fish. What we can't see with our eyes is that his hands and his feet were pierced. And there was a deep scar on his side where the spear from the Roman soldier was thrust to the depth of his heart. And when we get to heaven, we won't have anything like that. But guess what? Jesus does. We don't understand that. What great love Christ has shown to us. Even in death, he has given us a pattern that would cause us to be encouraged and to be strengthened that we can serve him in this life, no matter what it costs. Even if it happens to cost us a little bit of skin. Christ was certainly a wonderful Savior.
There's that song we sing, What a Wonderful Savior. And all those songs, uh, somebody was touched by the Holy Spirit to write the words and to encourage our hearts to be able to have a song upon our lips that we can sing and praise uh, to our Savior in that respect. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 21. In Hebrews 12, verses 25 and 29, we read there, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refused Christ, who refused him, who spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Again, this is filled with little keys in here that we need to be aware of, that when we're reading the scripture, we just don't take these things for granted. And he talks about shaking the earth once more. Well, we need to try to see a place in the scriptures where it talks about this and then say, see, that's, that's when Christ is going to come back. Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Those are powerful, powerful words. First, note that Paul describes the power of the resurrection uh, so as to change the body of man from the material compound of dust and particulate matter uh, to an e eternal celestial state. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 50. And so it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, or the last Adam, became a living spirit a life-giving spirit, Zoe. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual, the spiritual is Christ here. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the spiritual image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Job said this about his uh, resurrected body in Job 19, verses 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another." How my heart yearns within me. I want to encourage you again to think about the fact that the statement that is made by those who are a part of God's children are saying that in their flesh they will see God. This is, this is not some ethereal situation which we will face after death. This is the reality that God is going to make it so that we can see Christ in a glorified body. And we need to see it that way too. Job said this about his resurrected body. And I read that one, sorry. If you haven't noticed by now, I think you should know that I love this passage. I quote it quite often in my messages. I want you to see what confidence Job had in the power of God to save his body or his eternal being, complete, intact. I know that in my flesh I see, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. The scriptures are filled with examples of personal recognition of those who have died physically in the past, but who are now living spirits, yes, even living glorified saints. In Matthew 17, verses 2 and 3, we read there, And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. That was Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you carry on a conversation with the dead man? Implied answer, no. But now look at this post-resurrection passage from the New Testament record. Matthew 27, 51 through 53 reads, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, died, were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, Christ's resurrection, they went into the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Wow, what an unusual situation that might have been. Or must have been, I guess. We can assume they had to be, uh, had to die physically again uh, if they were truly raised from the dead. 
Truly, Christ is the resurrection and the life. Again, we read of Jesus Christ himself after his body was glorified, being able to eat, drink, and be handled by other living beings, and yet he did not physically change to his visible form. From what he had been, for he was immediately recognizable to his disciples. That whole mystery is just amazing to think about and to contemplate. In John 20, verses 17 through 20, it reads, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascended to my Father and your Father, and to my God uh, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, his hands uh, in the midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad, then rather the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Remember also these words of the Apostle John, John 20 and verse 27, when he said to Thomas, reach forth here, reach your finger here and look at the hands and reach for uh, and reach your uh, hand here and put it into my side do not be unbelieving but uh, believe uh, the problem with that is you you after you've read the king james and you read uh, <laughs> the niv and the new king james and some of the other translations, they all get jumbled up in your mind. And I want to put words where I know they should be. <laughs> I can't do that if I'm going to stick to the text. Did you notice what Jesus asked Thomas to do? Put your hand into my side. Did you get that? His side was uh, still was wounded from the spear of the Roman soldier, being cut to his heart, and yet it was not bleeding. Look at my hands, Jesus said. The gnarled flesh of his hands was still replete with nail holes and jagged shards of missing skin from his experience of death on the cross of Calvary. This is the same glorified body that he ate fish and bread on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with Peter, James, and John. The same resurrected body that walked along the seven miles with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 30 through 31. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Let me encourage those of you who are here, especially the young people. We're old, and most of us are pretty well set in our ways. Are you thankful for what God provides for you? Then when you sit down to eat, you better bow your head. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't have to be anything profound. Uh, hopefully more than, uh, you know, just a, a simple thing that doesn't mean anything. But from your heart, you need to give God thanks for the meal that he provides. And you should be thankful for all things when it comes right down to it. This view of Christ's glorified body was not a Hollywood-created spirit that floated through the ethereal universe like some disembodied spirit from the hordes of Satan's realm. Oh no, this was real flesh and real bone, only resurrected, only glorified, not standing before the apostles and the hundreds of disciples divinely changed and newly arrived from the Father's throne room. Jesus said to her, Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascended to my God and your God and to my, uh, my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Jesus still has the scars of our salvation in his body. But as far as we know, in the Bible, this is the only imperfection on a glorified man that is declared to last in glory. In all other cases, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, this is just the tip of the eschatological iceberg as concerning the changes of the glorified saints of God. There are many other things that we could discuss concerning the glorified state of man. However, let us remember this unique necessity for the Christian life. In Hebrews 12:14 it says, "Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord." The scriptures are very clear that we need to be a holy people. Now, it's not that we can make ourselves holy, but it's that we are trusting that Christ will do that for us. So be encouraged today. Third thing to think of, our state of being in glory. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince of, uh, who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, the many of, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
Those who are wise shall shine like uh, the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You can see by these verses that resurrection is the, uh, the central focus of the end time. Uh, let us ask you. Uh, let me ask you a simple question: How many end times will there be? How many end times will there be? It is also clear from the word of Scripture in this text that the resurrection is intended for both the just and the unjust. For the believer and the sinner, this final conflagration, destruction of fire, is described as a great time of trouble, a time when God's people are delivered. That is, those who are described and qualified as everyone who is found written in the book of life. See Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Perhaps more important than anything we should or could write about the end time event is for us to see the value God places on the souls of men. What a question, what a glorious hope this is uh, for the believer to read about. The fact that God ends this portion of text with a declaration of the great blessing that it is to be a soul winner for the war, for the glory of God. Um, God's word speaking of those who turn many to righteousness. Resurrection is the solid bedrock of truth that continually draws us back to the true source of our hope in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Beloved, the term rapture that is uh, bantied about today in most churches is never used once in all of Scripture. And the word that is that this term is describing, that is to be caught up or to be uh, to catch away, is only a description of one small part of the resurrection process itself. First Thessalonians four verses fourteen through eighteen says, "For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him uh, those who are dead or asleep in Christ." In Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. 
and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul uses the Greek term hapadzo, meaning to be caught up in the Greek. Note that the scripture only speaks of one coming of the Lord. Let me uh, try to help you understand where I'm coming from here. Number one, rapture describes how we are transported from earth into the clouds to be with Christ at his secret coming, while resurrection describes our physical change, bodily change, at the last trump. Number two, rapture does not change our vile bodies for heaven's glory. Resurrection does. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. If you read most books on uh, the second coming that deal with the term rapture, they put rapture every place because that's what they believe. They believe that it's something that is special and secret only for them. And in reality, uh, resurrection is the right word to use, and we should be very careful that we don't confuse the two. Again, I say to you, rapture does not change our vile bodies for heaven's glory. Resurrection does. Rapture, number three, is not what we celebrate at the Lord's table. Resurrection is what we are commanded to remember in celebration of the death of Christ. Number four, rapture is not what is identified in believer's baptism, but resurrection is. So they have switched the term, and even though it is not necessarily a bad term, it doesn't give you the truth of Scripture. It gives you the truth of man's concept of what the Scripture should be about. So I warn you, be careful what you read and what you want to put in place of the words that God has used. It's very easy to say resurrection. Maybe not so easy to spell, but it's easy to say. <laughs> in the story of poor Lazarus, Jesus describes a living hell for all unsaved individuals who are separated from this earth and life by physical death. Luke 16, 22 through 26. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those uh, from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, 
that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so so that he uh, may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through, the, through one rising from the dead. Beloved, Jesus was describing a living hell, a place of torment and pain, of sorrow and anguish for those who practice wrongdoing. A place of past remembrance and conscience, those who practiced um, I missed a line there, and conscience of self and one's present condition. Hell is a place that is hot and horrible. Does this describe a description of hell like a, a sound like a grave dug a mere six feet under uh, with a little dirt thrown in to cover you up? Oh, what a joy to praise God, as did Paul when he said this of death's relationship to the saint. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, Hades, or grave, where is your victory? Again, our Lord reminds us that hell is a real and radical place and that that those who go there will suffer eternal punishment and pain. Matthew 18, 8 through 9. If you had the, or uh, if your hand or foot <laughs> cause you to suffer, to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed uh, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye cause you to sin, pluck it out and cast it forever from you. It is better for you to enter into God life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Quite a warning, isn't it? Of all the preaching and teaching on the truth of life after death, this is by far the most sobering thought that man can have about the God of heaven. How can men deny the place that God calls hell? How can they reject the reality of the Lord God Almighty, who will judge the wicked for their sin? Did not Jesus say this to those who deny him as their Lord? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Rather than us spending our time while we have yet time on earth, 
with the, the things that cause us such consternation here. I think it would do us well to remember that hell is real and heaven is the only hope that men have through Christ. In conclusion today, I remind you that of the rule of biblical interpretation, when a description is given of agony or ecstasy, it cannot be less than the meaning of the word used to con convey the given thought. Heaven is absolutely perfect and holy and glorious, while hell is hot and horrific and horrible. Seek the Lord, dear friend, while he may be found. It is God who declares, be holy, for I am holy. Shall we stand? Brother Dale, would you mind ending our services with prayer? Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. We won't be singing another song. Huh? There's a closing One more hymn. One more hymn? Well, I thought I said I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. I'll just go sit down before I fall down. It's 239 in the brown, Jesus is coming.
prayer, Pastor? Do you want to close us in prayer? Will you close us in prayer, Pastor? Well, Lord, we're thankful for the promise of your coming again. It's a great hope. We're also told that in the coming, not only we'll see you, but we will be changed to become like you. And that is our great joy and anticipation because we want to be holy like the Lord is holy. The scripture says without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So we look for that transformation that will make us like Christ. Amen. Thank you for the truth that uh, Brother George brought to us today on the whole concept of resurrection, that we are going to be changed. We're going to be made like Christ. The, the great goal of uh, calling out a people from the world is the fact that we will become like you. You're going to take us out of the world's kingdom and bring us into the kingdom of light, kingdom of your dear son. Help us to live as resurrected children. Help us to live with the hope of life eternal. And may we convey those truths to our friends and relatives and acquaintances and people we work with that they may also hear the gospel and believe. For the salvation of their souls, we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We are dismissed.